The Thanksgiving holiday edition of Locked on NBA available for you in the whole holiday. I'm David Locke, joined by Ben Golliver. I, I just want to make sure before we start, Ben, Washington Post, Ben Golliver, are you ignorant and obtrusive at the same time? I've been known to be called those things. I try not to be those things. You know, I'm going home for the holidays up to Portland, Oregon. I'll see my family. Hopefully they don't call me those things. Uh, but I believe you're referring to uh, the Kyrie Irving uh, screed, correct? Yes, yes. I thought ignorant and obtrusive was an interesting togetherness there that I've never quite um, seen before. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly what to make. I mean, for people who didn't see it, obviously, uh, you know, Boston, uh, you know, beats the Brooklyn Nets without Kyrie Irving in sort of the first game between those two teams since Kyrie Lee left over the summer. And there was a lot of, you know, just riled up Celtics fans with signs and chants kind of making fun of him. And you know, he posted this long comment on Instagram, which, you know, wasn't the uh, wasn't the clearest uh, reasoning, I didn't think, from Kyrie. But essentially, I think he was trying to put the, the game of basketball into perspective and, and almost asking maybe for uh, people to treat him like a human rather than sort of, uh, you know, maybe a propped up figure in, uh, in an entertainment and kind of drama reality. Uh, I think if I'm the Nets, um, I understand his position. I probably wish it wasn't public because this is just going to sort of inflame all of the commentary that's been around Kyrie for these last couple of years. And frankly, I'm not sure it helps. You know, I think there's already been some questions. Okay, where is Kyrie? You know, he's hurt. Uh, you know, we, everybody wants to see him as a consistent leadership presence on and off the court. Uh, you know, the Nets haven't, uh, you know, been playing very well with him, you know, from a win-loss perspective. Uh, and so, you know, what does, uh, you know, this statement ultimately mean to his teammates and to his organization? I think that's sort of the open question. And uh, I think the Nets, you know, went into this marriage with Kyrie with their eyes wide open. I mean, it was a calculated gamble. They bet on the star power, much like Boston did, you know, a couple of years ago when they traded for him. And so far, frankly, they don't have a lot to show for it. No, I actually thought Brooklyn would be much better than they are so far. I, they They would be on... We're, we're going to do something similar to this today, not quite disappointments and things. I think the league's like separated, and we'll talk about that. But I, they're they're not as good as I thought they would have been. I, I would have thought they were going to be much better. Well, and their win loss record is better without Kyrie Irving, which is the, the strange part, right? And so, uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean he's dragging them down, but it, I think it does reflect the fact that they have not forged an identity with him on the court. Uh, they have, the team hasn't necessarily ra- rallied around him. He hasn't found a way to make his teammates better. Uh, you know, they're still in that playoff picture in the Eastern Conference, but I'm with you. I mean, being at 500 is not good enough for that team, not based on where they were last year and not when you upgrade a point guard from a D'Angelo Russell to a Kyrie Irving. Uh, I don't think the injury excuses are enough to, to mask that. And so if I'm looking at the, the biggest disappointments in the Eastern Conference, I see them, and I see the Detroit Pistons who have really fallen off and, and haven't even been that respectable. I think those are the top two candidates for that, uh, and maybe uh, a little bit softer disappointment for the Philadelphia 76ers, who I thought would be you know, kind of a, a clear-cut top-shelf team, and they've really been a second-tier team so far. I think those are the candidates. I think that's the field. All right, there are the way the league has broken out right now, I feel like there's five groupings. Um, one of them only has one team in it and I'll explain that in a minute, but I've always felt, Ben, that the number to watch in the first 20 games of the season is teams whose differential is above four or below four. Like, that's a big separator. And then there's that middle group. So 
I want to kind of walk through those groups here for a second. The teams that have a differential below four really are not surprising at all except for one. They're Golden State, Atlanta, Memphis, New York, Charlotte, Cleveland, and Sacramento. Do you believe any of those seven will be out of this group? I think Sacramento will. I mean, I think they've already made some progress. I think their differential was screwed a little bit by their first, you know, opening week, which was just disastrous. I mean, they draw multiple games by 30 plus points. And I, you know, that's the kind of thing where when you're in that kind of a hole, it could legitimately take you two months to, to dig out from a point differential standpoint. So I would say uh, they're the most likely candidate. Uh, but I think the rest are pretty much the dregs, right? Yeah, I mean that's where that's the separator, and I, and I think that that's why I why I believe in this kind of methodology of looking at things early in the season is because this actually usually does do a pretty good job. Let me touch on one thing involving Sacramento. They start the year terribly, like Luke Walton. You think they're gonna we're playing them? They were zero and whatever. The other team that started the year terribly is Indiana, and Indiana started the year very very poorly lost their first three and then got it together and since then indiana is 10 and 3 did that india trip derail both of those two franchises well we heard that noise come out of sacramento i don't remember indiana uh you know leaning on that as a an excuse or an explanation but it makes sense to me i mean they did compress the preseason uh, a few years ago and when they did that i was all for it i thought it made total sense there was just too many empty exhibition games uh but i was not looking at it from the standpoint of you know some teams would be making these gigantic trips unlike any trip that's going to be taking place you know during the course of a uh a normal regular season almost twice as long as your your longest road trip in the nba if not longer um and so i do think that might be something for the nba to look at from a scheduling perspective uh for future kind of global games it would just be to uh you know make sure these teams uh either like start at home or uh, you know, have a, a lighter schedule right off the bat as a kind of a, you know, a, co- a compensatory factor because you know, that is pretty compelling evidence when you line it up both sides. Uh, speaking of scheduling, what are your thoughts on this whole proposed thing that came out this week? Um, I'm really in favor of the reseeding for the final four in the playoffs. Uh, you know, I've actually been an advocate of just doing the best, you know, one to 16, uh, you know, playoff format, you know, that way you can kind of, weed out weaker Eastern Conference teams and bring in some bubble teams from the Western Conference in some years when it's imbalanced. But I also like the idea of, you know, if it's just the Final Four, if you go back to 2018, there was a situation where Golden State and Houston would have been the top two seeds. They met in the Western Conference Finals and played seven games. Then Golden State went on to the, uh, the Finals and wind up sweeping. There's no question from a financial perspective and from a TV ratings perspective, having a seven-game Finals between the two best teams in the league would have been better than having what we got, which was the sweep between Golden State and Cleveland. Uh, so to me, I, I think it makes sense. If you can at least try to maximize or give yourself the best chance to have the two best teams in the finals, I think that's in the league's best interest. Now, from the midseason tournament standpoint and the playing game tournament, I'm not super passionate about either one of those. I'm on board with those proposals if they come as part of a package and it's just Adam Silver pitching this as like, hey, here's what we're doing going forward. We want to have all these elements in. We think it makes sense. But if they were to kind of drop those in individually, I think it would sort of, you know, uh, it, it really wouldn't necessarily be worth it, especially the play-in games. There's already plenty of team in the postseason. Uh, I understand it could help uh, curb tanking a little bit, 
But if that was like the only thing that they wind up doing, I think that would be a disappointment. And same thing for the midseason tournament. I think that's more of a, uh, you know, a way to try to gin up a little bit of interest over an 82 game schedule, you know, kind of generate, you know, some momentum during a down part of the year between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, ultimately, I think it's kind of just putting lipstick on a pig. I don't think teams will take it very seriously, nor do I think teams should take it seriously when there's a championship at stake in June. So uh, that's why I'm at, you know, I think if, if it's going to be a comprehensive proposal, then sure, go for it. If we only have to pick one of these ideas, I say pick the reseeding in the playoffs. I uh, I think that one of the biggest mistakes the league made was getting rid of division emphasis and emphasizing conferences. And I, that's the so I I think we should get rid of conferences. Go back to if we can do anything that would create rivalries inside divisions, so that some of those games do feel more important between you know the Lakers, Clippers, and Phoenix is in that division, and Golden State and in Boston and Philadelphia and recreate that, I think that would be very valuable to the league. The conferences, I actually think, are are a detriment. And I think the other one is the travel's not so bad. Equalize the schedule. Go to 1 through 16. Um, I would do it in pods of six with your whole scheduling change so that you're playing your team in or, you know, excuse me, whatever it is, pods of five right now. You might be playing your, your group. We really should be going to uh, – 32 teams and then that makes this all very easy um but you know the idea that if kevin durant had played in the west for his entire career that he only made one trip to new york every year is ridiculous like there's no reason why players you know the oklahoma city thunder can't play two games in new york some years and only one game in la other years so um i I would i would get rid of the conference concept get Back to the focus on divisions. I actually have a whole preseason tournament I would run, um, but I, I so I in a lot of ways agree with what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, to me, what what the main takeaway of what I'm trying to argue for the playoffs, and I think what you're trying to argue for the regular season, is that if the the idea of an arbitrary zip code is sort of what's determining so much of these important things in terms of who you play during the regular season and how you match up in the playoffs. That seems really antiquated and kind of dumb, you know? I mean, like, why are we just saying, okay, you're in this particular region or this particular region, therefore it determines everyone's access to those teams and those players. Uh, It seems a little bit foolish. I think the NBA can do better. Um, And I I like that Adam Silver is trying to be forward-thinking on this. And, you know, I I hope they're able to, you know, meaningfully reform the schedule and potentially the playoff format too because – um, you know, this load management thing is a real sore subject for the NBA. I do think that uh, the secret's out when it comes to the importance of any individual regular season game. And I think that's going to create some problems from a ratings perspective as we go forward. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you are, you know, kind of worried about the quality of interest in your product spread out over the course of six months, I do think it could take some radical changes or at least some outside the box ideas to, uh, you know, get people invested. It's interesting that we all think the regular season doesn't matter. I think Denver and San Antonio sure thought it mattered when they went to seven games last year. <laughs> no, I mean, well, look, I mean, it, it, it's not that it doesn't matter, right? But I do think that, you know, there's some real core problems the NBA is looking at, which is a lot of teams are playing meaningless games in April, uh, whether you're tanking or whether you're just out of the playoff picture. Um, and then, you know, I think that's, you know, a major concern for them, and that's what they're trying to fix with the play-in tournament. And I also think, you know, just at various points of the season from a calendar perspective, there's a lot of other stuff going on, whether it's March Madness, uh, you know, whether it is the NFL playoffs or or college football, you know, bowl games here 
uh, coming up. You know, I, I think the NBA is feeling pressure to kind of distinguish itself within that marketplace. We don't need to get into great detail on this. I actually think a long time ago we talked about this, Ben. My theory is we should add two more teams, get to 32, and kind of to your point of how football dominates this time of year, actually start the season with all 32 teams overseas. And my thought is that you've set eight locations and you have the Barcelona Cup and the Tokyo Cup and the Paris Cup and the Greek, you know, the Athens Cup and, you know, wherever else. Um, and those rotate. And so teams go and everyone starts overseas and it's a big deal if you win one of those cups. And then if you want to, you could take the eight cup winners and come back and play maybe in, there's a Western Conference teams and Eastern Conference if you still have conferences and you play the finals in vegas to kick off the season of some sort that that's my theory of how we should use this off-season tournament oh my goodness i love how you think big see um i i am all in favor of combining the mid-season tournament idea with the global games they do currently you know the overseas games that sometimes take place like in mexico city or london during the regular season if there was a way to tie that together sort of like you're describing and that sounds like a pretty radical proposal in terms of, you know, logistics and all that. But even in a modified, scaled-down version of what you're describing, I'd be all for that. I think that's kind of the the best long-term play for the NBA when it comes to a midseason tournament is really, you know, sinking its teeth into the over, overseas and global markets. And you know, there's already been some reports, you know, this year about how they're scheduling times to sort of be, you know, like for Dallas. They're scheduling it so it's a favorable time for the fans in Slovenia so they can watch Luka. And kind of the same deal with Giannis, who obviously has a fan base like all across the world. I think that's really smart and forward-thinking from the NBA's perspective. That doesn't mean I want to be playing, a, you know, going to a bunch of games that are on like Shanghai or Beijing time here in Los Angeles, right? Uh, but I do think that, you know, that kind of wider uh, viewpoint uh, is the right way to, to kind of play things from the regular season schedule standpoint. I'll have to tell you about Vladimir in a second. He is Ben Golliver, Washington Post. I'm David Locke. It's our Thursday edition of Locked on NBA, but with a holiday theme. I hope you're enjoying it. We'll come back. We'll continue to look at those tiers I talked about, uh, as well as I'll tell him the story about Vladimir because he'll think it's funny. <laughs> if you'd like to get any of the great offers Locked on Podcast has for you, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. That's LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. And all of the offers we have available for you as you want to do some of your Black Friday shopping, see if those can help you out. LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. We were at St. Elmo's in Indiana, and our waiter was Vladimir. And he, at the end of the night, like, are you with the Jazz? And Thurl Bailey was there and some other people. And so he started telling us the story about how he, we asked him, are you a Pacers fan? He goes, well, I'm not really a Pacers fan. Because when I was a kid growing up in Serbia, I used to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning to watch NBA games. And I wouldn't know who the game was going to be. They would never tell us. So I'd get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I'd turn on and be like, Oh, no, the Pacers. Oh, crap, it's the Pacers. (laughs) (laughs) So he says he hasn't quite got over that now that he's actually living in Indiana and around the Pacers all the time. But I could just envision this little kid in Serbia. And I I had a feeling he might have on some occasion said, oh, crap, the Jazz, but he was nice enough not to tell us that. Well, look, this is a perfect example of the power of first impressions, right? I mean, they can stick with you for a <laughs> lifetime. Your your whole lifetime can change, you, you know, your your lifestyle, your your place of living and everything else, and still that first impression will follow you across that globe. All right, so let's go back to our tiers. This is the kind of 
good but not or bad but not terrible yet tier. And I want let's the first question is are any of these gonna have cement shoes and move down a tier? San Antonio, New Orleans, Chicago, Washington, Portland, Detroit, Orlando, and Brooklyn. This is all negative one to negative four differential. Again, San Antonio, New Orleans, Chicago, Washington, Portland, Detroit, Orlando, and Brooklyn. By the way, interestingly enough, that's from bottom up. So do any of those have cement shoes that move into the bottom category? Yeah, the two that I'd be looking at are probably Chicago and Washington. Now, I know Washington had this incredible offense, and so even if their offense were to cool off a little bit, they'd still probably be pretty good. But, you know, I look at their their defensive approach. I look at how thin they are, how reliant they are on Bradley Beal. Uh, you know, to me, that's a team that's you know, seems like their record currently um, is better than – and even their point differential currently is better than, than who they really are. With Chicago, I feel like they're – you know, arguably one of the biggest enigmas in the league. I don't get anything about what they're trying to do, their game plan. Uh, they drop really ugly games on a regular basis. You know, every once in a while, Zach Levine comes through to play hero like he did the other night. Uh, but, you know, both of those teams to me uh, are not great. And then I think the other thing you have to look at from a kind of an X factor standpoint is, does a team like San Antonio decide we got to blow this thing up and then maybe they fall into that last group um, you know, from a trade perspective, they've got guys like DeMar DeRozan, LaMarcus Aldridge, where they're not playing particularly well for them right now. But if they blow them up and go the full rebuild route, maybe it looks even worse in the short term. I think those are some of the teams I'd be looking at. Doesn't San Antonio just feel like a team? And other than the fact that they're San Antonio, uh, where you just the question is where their players are ending up. Yeah, that's what that's exactly what I mean. And, you know, also, who can they? sell these guys to I think it's another major question about the Spurs because uh you know I think people had know for years that I've been pretty skeptical of DeMar DeRozan's impact and you know what's his overall body of work look like compared to just his scoring ability I think it's really shown through in a really rough way this season for him I, you know the offense defense numbers just look terrible um impact numbers look awful uh, eye test matches a lot of those things and so you start to wonder like who exactly is out there you know, kind of yearning for a player like that at this point of his career, also knowing that, uh, you know, he's going to want another contract here coming up in the future. Uh, and then Aldridge, to me, uh, I'm not going to say he fell off a cliff necessarily, but he has not been his typical self from an impact standpoint. Even over these last couple of years, I thought he actually has held on pretty well after turning 30, but he's 34 now. Um, and I just think uh, he, he just doesn't seem like quite the same guy. Uh, and I think that's problematic for them. Now, maybe a trade could help turn that around. I'm sure there'd be uh, people who'd be willing to talk themselves into him uh, just because he's had some nice moments in the playoffs, and he's such a polished and, and uh, you know, uh, low low maintenance type of guy, you know, good locker room guy. But, uh, you know, at the same time, you just got to wonder, you know, like what's really his trade value going to look like? Uh, any of these teams moving up, Brooklyn, Orlando, Detroit, Portland, Washington, Chicago, New Orleans, San Antonio. Any of those end up with a positive differential by the time we're done? Uh, it's possible. I don't. I don't feel strongly about any of those guys. What do you? What, what do you think? Well, I don't. Um, I mean, Portland's obviously got to get healthier, uh, but I do think that they're just kind of just beaten up. But Portland, I think, gets healthier and they get better defensively at some point in time. So I think they probably are the most likely, though they're in the Western Conference. Um, I'm curious, Orlando's offense is just so bad, and they have extra players, and I'm wondering when they're going to do something about it. 
Like, if they called Portland and said, we'll give you Aaron Gordon for C.J. McCollum, who's saying no? Yeah, well, I think Portland probably does in that situation because they've really overvalued C.J. McCollum or, or valued him heavily, I guess is maybe a more polite way to put it, um, just because, you know, the GM drafted him. And so, it's, you know, he, he's one of his guys, and that's just how it goes. Um, but I'm with you. I've been waiting for Orlando to figure their roster out for about four years now. Do you remember actually when Aaron Gordon's name was on that whiteboard in the back of the photo as like oh, a yeah. possibility and they had to like apologize for it? Did they just decide after that happened to like never make any trades ever again to like never shake up any of the guys that they've got? Because they've had the same ill-fitting pieces for years. They've had the same problems on offense that you're describing for years. Uh, and yet they run it back, you know, one more time. I mean, you think that they would uh, you know, just try to shake up the snow globe, but uh, uh, they haven't done it so far. But I think they should do it. I mean, I'm with you. I don't know if that, that specific trade is the right one to make, but they need to roster rebalance in a big-time way. I think Brooklyn ends up positive, by the way. There's, their offense is 16th, largely because it's been 26th the last two weeks. They'll get that together. Kyrie, they'll figure out Kyrie. They'll be positive by the end of the – and a playoff team in the Eastern Conference. Um, yeah, I, I hear you on that one too. I think I had them right in that like seven to eight range from a playoff standpoint before the season, and sort of maybe like, you know, forty-two to forty-five wins. And I think that's still in play despite kind of the choppy start for them. And, and so I do, I do agree with you on that one. All right, Oklahoma City is the dead even team. They're all by themselves. There, that's the one tier. Um, they actually should be way better than their six and ten record. I actually think they should be good, frankly, um, but they are not. Uh, and who knows what they're going to do? But they're they're probably not making a playoff push now at this point at six and ten, and they're so at some point if they can find a buyer, they'll probably or they'll probably t- start moving guys on their roster and fall out of that spot. There are five. Well, go ahead. I was going to ask you real quick: Are they the most relieved team in the entire league, though? Like, I don't know what your experience has been talking with people from Oklahoma City, but like when they came through LA, it was like, look. You know, Westbrook's gone. Paul George is gone. Yes, that's like, you know, a changing uh, dynamic for us. But the fact that we don't have the pressure and we've got all these young guys, they can just kind of go out and play. And Chris Paul has sort of assumed that leadership mantle and, and really embraced it. And they've got all these possibilities of the trade deadline where they could sell off parts and, and really play for the future. They just kind of seem like they're sitting pretty. Like they're kind of like the happiest, uh, ha- happiest middle-of-the-pack team I can remember in a while. Don't you feel like Billy Donovan's on trial, though? I do. And I actually wondered, you know, coming into the season, was it going to be a situation where they just kind of mutually agreed to part ways after the year? You know, because like Billy Donovan gets hired there to coach Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and Serge Ibaka to a title. And now you look at who's left, and it's like, this wasn't the plan. Um, You know, he had a couple cracks at it in the postseason, couldn't get over the hump. And if you're Oklahoma City, you could easily say, look, we need to get a a younger, uh, you know, more, uh, you know, upbeat or – however you want to energetic, however you want to describe a type of coach to, to lead a, a young, you know, rebuild movement around a guy like Shea uh, Gilgis Alexander. I could just kind of see both these teams saying, Hey, you know what? A lot changed in five years. Let's go our separate ways. Um, and not necessarily with hard feelings. Uh, it just kind of feels like that's run its course to me. This is just my own two cents. This is not sourced. Uh, but uh, I feel like this season has kind of played out along that, uh, that track as well. I think that's a fair observation. All right, we still have all the positive teams to do. There's two tiers. There's the really, really good team, and then there's the teams with some names in there that, or two names specifically, I think people thought would be better than their differential. We'll figure out what Ben thinks of them and look at the positive teams as we continue. It's the Thursday, 
Locked on NBA Holiday Edition, by the way. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and entertainment. Start listening with a 30-day audio trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash locked on NBA. Listening on the go. If you can't visit Audible right now, then you can go find Locked on Sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. All right, this is the most interesting tier to me. Four teams, uh, positive differential, but none of them above four. Phoenix, Minnesota, Houston, Utah. Where do those? It's a fascinating. It's a fascinating grouping, and you never would have been able to pick out those four teams into this group before the season. Right? You? I mean, you might have gone over four because you probably would have said Houston and Utah would be above four. And the other two probably would have been below zero or, or pretty close to zero. I think of those four teams, Houston has the best chance uh, to bump up. I think they're still figuring things out. I think the Eric Gordon injury has been really big for them um, in terms of kind of robbing Harden of some of the space that he's used to. I know he was kind of complaining about the double teams this past week, and it's a lot harder to double team him if Eric Gordon is out there on the court. Um, so that would be one team I think could bump up. Um, Utah, you would know better than me. Uh, it does seem like they've maybe fallen a little bit short of our preseason expectations for them. Um, and then the other two, you know, in Minnesota and Phoenix, you know, to me, I think that they have uh, the chance to maybe hover in this zone or maybe just come back slightly to earth a little bit. Um, you know, I think they have a chance to, to be winning teams, uh, but, you know, they're not necessarily teams that I expect to maintain the true early season momentum they had in the first couple of weeks for the course of the season. Are they both playoff teams in the West? Um, I'm not ready to go that far personally. You know, if one of those two got in, uh, I guess I could see it. Um, I'm not sure it's completely separated yet. I still think that there's a few teams behind them that, uh, that have a chance to chase them. Uh, you know, I hate to be a downer because the Phoenix Suns were such an amazing story there for the first couple of weeks, but um you know, I still think they've got a lot to prove, right? And uh, you know, they've still got to face everybody the second time through. I think they're going to catch fewer people by surprise. They've never really sustained winning over the course of a long time period with any of these guys who they currently have on their roster. And so I think I'm more skeptical of them uh, you know, than maybe I am of, of anybody else above them. I'd say I think injuries kind of derailed them, and I'm not sure who gets them. Right, like Portland six and twelve. I don't feel like they're coming anytime soon. San Antonio six and thirteen. We just discounted them. So are we buying Sacramento is really going to make that big a jump to go grab them. Yeah, I would say Sacramento or Portland. I mean, you've got to watch out for injury issues with Devin Booker uh, for sure. I also think they have a question when they bring Aiton back. Like, do they have to readjust everything? Because when they were playing their best basketball, Aaron Baines was like a major part of that. I know he had some injuries like you mentioned, but uh, you know, to me, that's kind of like an open question. Like uh, what does the chemistry look like? How well does the offense work? Um, you know, is uh, Aiden able to hit the ground running or, is, you know, does he wind up, you know, needing some acclimation process after sitting out for so long? Uh, that part just feels a little bit funny to me. I'm just not ready to grant them. I'm not guaranteeing they're going to be a lottery team. I just want to see more. Well, and the Aaron, you know, they, you lose Aaron Baines, and now you're anybody gets down to their third string center, it's going to be a problem. Aaron, they are plus twelve points offensively per when Aaron, uh, better than when Aaron Baines is on the floor than off the floor. Like Aaron Baines is one of the most impactful <laughs> players in the league right now. It's kind of no, crazy. It was, 
And it was one of the best trades of the whole summer, too, which, you know, probably nobody ever talks about it when it happened. But it's so funny to me that Ryan McDonough is, like, defined by that Isaiah Thomas trade uh, with, with Boston, right, where, like, it just backfires in his face. Isaiah Thomas blows up as an MVP candidate. That one kind of sticks on his resume. And then his successor, James Jones, winds up pulling Aaron Baines from Boston, and it's like the biggest winning move of their last five years. Uh, sometimes the NBA is just so unpredictable and so unscripted, it's great. All right, there are ten teams that are plus four. I might have to, like, probably should change my thing and give the teams that are, you know, plus eight some extra love or something. But here are the ten teams that are plus four or more. Miami, Philadelphia, Indiana, Denver, Clippers, Dallas, Boston, Lakers, Toronto, and Milwaukee. So in reverse order, top to bottom, number one differential team in the NBA is Milwaukee. Number two is Toronto, then the Lakers, then Boston, then Dallas, the Clippers, Denver, Indiana, Philadelphia, Miami. Are you voting any of those teams out of the plus four top ten island? I think Indiana will probably fall back maybe a little bit uh, I, I wasn't a huge fan of them coming in. I mean, I guess the, the big variable there is, you know, if Oladipo comes back and he hits the you know, ground running and he looks great, then, you know, they'll be in this tier for sure. The other team that I think is probably a little bit better than by point differential than uh, in reality is Dallas. Uh, at the same time, every time I try to tell people to cool off on Dallas, Luka goes out and puts up like a 35-point triple-double and they beat another team in impressive fashion, and I feel stupid about it. So I don't want to say Dallas – uh, even though they're probably the biggest overachiever, uh, you know, the biggest pleasant surprise. You know, we were talking about disappointments earlier. I think Dallas is the biggest pleasant surprise in the league. I will um, say I will say Dallas. They have the oh, most think, brutal ooh. December schedule, and they've had the mo- the softest schedule. I mean, they, they got Denver. They got a really good win against Denver and a really good win against the Toronto Raptors and that win the other night against Houston. So, they're, it's not as soft as it once was, and they deserve credit for those three wins. Um, but I'm not – I mean, they've lost twice to the Knicks. Um, they lost to the Blade. Their, Dece- so, like, let, let, their let December is where, brutal. Where you, right, right. Where do you see them settling from a, from a standing standpoint, right? Like, I think right now they're, like, fifth in the West, and they were flirting for a while there with, like, third or fourth. So I, mean, I think they like finish. Gonna... I think they finished sixth in the West, a playoff team, not with a positive four differential. Interesting. I mean, that would still be a pleasant surprise in my book, even if they fell out of that top group. Um, and so, from that standpoint, like I don't, I'm not sure their fans should be that upset about it. And you know, they're probably sharing your concerns about this upcoming run. Um, you know, we also know like Luca. There was some inconsistencies across last year's schedule, and he started off so well, and he's faced a lot of pretty poor teams, like you mentioned. If he comes back to earth a little bit, just individually, I think that impacts their record and point differential, too. This is a subtle thing that unless you travel with an NBA team, you probably don't look at. Starting on December 8th until the end of the month, they will never play games in the same city on back-to-back games. Oof. Well, and I should put a, fi- a finer point on what I said earlier. I mean, doesn't Luca essentially have the greatest player efficiency rating in NBA history right now? I mean, if not right now, then that was true as of a couple days ago, like a 32 PER. It's very safe to say he's going to regress. <laughs> like That's like the safest prediction you can make, right? So it doesn't mean he's going to fall off a cliff, but he's not going to maintain the current standard that he's had. 
And given that they're still like, you know, the fifth seed in the Western Conference, that means that if they, they do come back to earth and he comes back to earth, uh, you know, maybe a little bit bumpier road ahead. So I think they're great. And I, I mean, I think they're a playoff team, but I just think I really, if we redid this conversation for the New Year's break, we'd have just there'd be a different tune to them. And I think both, I think everyone's a little too high right now and everyone's going to be a little too low on January 1st. That stretch they have. I like it. When you don't get to play back, they play December 7th and December 8th at home. And then they do not play in the same city back-to-back nights again until January 2nd and January 4th. So every home game's a single. That's it's a lot of bounce, and that's a lot of miles. That's a subtle little thing about NBA scheduling that wears teams out, and people don't talk about it, but it's very – trust me, it's very real. Um, uh, are you on board completely with Miami? Um, I wouldn't guarantee that they're in this top conversation. I mean, I think that when I look at this top group of teams, like – and you were saying, okay, well, maybe the plus four isn't the right differentiating mark. I mean, the teams that I think of as the top tier in the league, I would say are Milwaukee, Toronto, the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Nuggets. And you know, that's probably so my you top left, tier. you left out Boston in that group. Yeah, I, I think Boston's, you know, to me, they're a cute story here in the regular season. Like, I just don't believe that their defensive style, which is basically just like, you know, pure speed, flying around, being disruptive, but you don't have a lot of bigs. I mean, to me, that's not going to really work in the playoffs. If you look at Milwaukee, Toronto, or Philadelphia from a matchup standpoint for Boston, I just think that they're going to have some real troubles on defense there. I know their defense has been excellent during the regular season. It's more about a matchup standpoint and a style standpoint for me. Uh, Then offensively, I think they've overachieved, and they can even be better once Hayward's back healthy. I think they've handled his – his absence brilliantly, you know, a lot of credit to Marcus Smart stepping in as a starter, a lot of credit to Brad Stevens uh, for having a really good, you know, uh, positive focused culture this year after kind of a tough season last year. Uh, I just still think that, you know, they're not really a team that's built to contend this season. How is Denver the number one defense in the NBA? You know, that I have no idea. Um, and that, that sounds like a fake, like that sounds like fake news. <laughs> right. I mean, it's crazy. They were pretty. Their offense has not been good yet this year. They're thirteen and three, and their offense is nineteenth in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I'm already worried about Jokic. You know, I was definitely one a guy who was hyping him up. You know, big time coming into this season. I to me, he was a franchise level guy who should be able to just by virtue of being on the court, always have a top ten offense around him. And, you know, his numbers are not great. I mean, across the board, you know, his efficiency's down, three-point shooting numbers way down, scoring is down, his assists are down from last year. Uh, you know, all of those things make me nervous. His foul rate is up, which you never really want to see, especially from a big guy who's had kind of issues uh, from that standpoint. Um, so I, I think, you know, kudos to his support and cast here. And I guess also, you know, if you want to spin this forward positively, like, he probably won't be a lot worse than he is right now. So they probably deserve to be in this top grouping uh, as we're describing them because I do think he's going to round into form here, uh, pardon the pun. I think they're going to be the number one seed in the West. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, so you're selling on the Lakers a little bit? Well, again, uh, go look at December. Go look at what they've done and compared to what they have to do in December. And I think they'll, you know, they'll be two or three, but Anthony Davis is going to miss, you know, what? What does he miss, 15 games a year? Like, are we... 
Like, what are we? What are we willing to say? LeBron cools off. At, I mean, this is incredible. Has to slow down at some point, and I just don't think they're the number one seed. Like, they're. I think they're great, but I don't think they're the number one seed. They've been really, really impressive. I hate to take anything away from them, but uh, I know what you mean. I think that they've also gotten a lot of close games to go their way. And you can give LeBron the credit, you know, in clutch situations if you want. Uh, but sometimes it's a matter of, you know, guys like KCP hitting real clutch three-pointers. You know, some nights that's going to happen, some nights that's not over the course of 82 games. I think the most impressive team that I've seen in person, uh, well, consistently that I've, I've watched this year has been Milwaukee. The best team that I've seen in person, I think, is the Clippers. Um, record doesn't reflect it. Point differential doesn't quite reflect it right now. Uh, I think that's another team that should be in the mix, though, as a potential number one seed in the West. By the way, uh, Lakers have the same thing coming up. December 1 to December 22. Never play in the same city twice in a row. Well, look, Locke, I watched six games at Staples Center in six nights last week between the Lakers and the Clippers. So I'm okay with that, all right? Can we get an off (laughs) night every once in a while? Just mix it in a little bit. That's all I'm saying. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Um, but, I, you know, we'll see. I actually think the Lakers have an interesting East Coast road trip where if they go grab three of the five or four of the five, then you really do put them on the upper echelon. So it's it's an Orlando-Miami-Atlanta at Indiana at Milwaukee trip with no back-to-backs anywhere in it. So LeBron should be fine in every circumstance. Anthony Davis should be fine in every circumstance. Um and they're probably better than four of the five teams. And so if they're actually able to go win four of the five on that trip, that would be super impressive if, you know, because that's what great teams do. Um, on the other end, fatigue and being on the road that long can certainly make it that you only win three out of five, and that's still good. And it can also make you only win two out of five. And the one that just gets interesting for them is they open December by playing Dallas, Denver, Utah. Portland and Minnesota if they kick one or two and then they go two and three on that road trip and does Jason Kidd start coaching like what happens when this team suddenly goes five and five over 10 games that's the one question we've had all year about them yeah the other concerning thing for them is they have you know done this classic like veteran team thing of getting behind by 10 to 12 points in the second half and then just expecting that you can turn it on in the fourth quarter this has happened especially against younger teams you know I'm thinking about the Pelicans game tonight but also uh, there was a Grizzlies game recently a couple others where this has happened They've been able to work themselves out of those jams really consistently. Um, I think unless you're a truly like all-time great team like the Warriors who could really flip the switch, I think you know if you keep playing with fire like that, eventually you're going to get burned, and it will show through on your record. It will show through on your point differential. Ben Golliver, happy Thanksgiving. Hope you have a wonderful time in Portland. Thanks very much for your time tonight and for joining us, and we will talk in December and see if any of these road trips and things we've talked about actually come to fruition to having an issue. I can't wait. You know, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family and uh, to all the listeners out there as well. Take care. Thanks, buddy.